from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is a drink of wisdom. Welcome to a drink of wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. It's episode 50 here at Drink of Wisdom, and we are expanding the markets, guys. We're getting into YouTube, so hello to our viewers. First time on. I hope you all enjoy, and we are still, of course, doing the podcast version. You're not going to miss that. So what's going on, guys? Hey, what's up, brother? Good to be here. Let's talk some sports, baby! Oh, you know we're going to do that, guys. In episode oh, 50, yeah. LeBron best Zion. Cam Newton might stay in Carolina, and we recap the mega fight of Wilder Fury 2. But first, the Milwaukee Bucks notch their 50th win, and perhaps the most impressive win of the season in Toronto. The Austin crew put away the Raptors 108-97 on a night where the reigning MVP really wasn't at his best offensively, and the team had played an overtime game the night before. The Raptors got hot from three early and got some nice bench performances from Chris Boucher and Terrence Davis, but the shooting slumped in the second, and Milwaukee took control. The Bucks clinch a playoff spot over the weekend and remain locked in first place in the East. Toronto holds on the second, but they're slipping within two games of Boston. So, Jay, which Eastern Conference team poses the biggest threat to the Bucks? First of all, I just want to start off by saying that there ain't a team in the Eastern Conference that can beat the Bucks. But if I had to pick one that is the greatest threat, I'm going to go with the Boston Celtics. And here's why. Lately, what I've been seeing with the Celtics is a guy by the name uh, by the name of Jason Tatum who appears to be taking that next step. He made an all-star team this year, and lately he's looking more from all-star to actual being a star, and dare I say, could we be seeing his growth approaching superstar levels? I'm thinking about what he did against the Los Angeles Lakers recently in a losing effort, dropping 40, 41, I believe it was. That was absolutely outstanding performance. And it's things like that that encourage me, encourages me that perhaps Boston can challenge Milwaukee because when you go up against Milwaukee, you got to have a true number one option to at least kind of sort of go toe-to-toe with Giannis. Up until this point, I've always mentioned about Boston. They got four B to B-plus players. When I think about Kimball Walker, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, and Jason Tatum. What I was looking for from the Celtics – it's one of those guys, particularly between Tatum and Jalen Brown, it's one of those guys to take another step forward. I think we're seeing that right now with Jason Tatum, the way he's playing, and that's why I would go with the Boston Celtics as the greatest threat to the Bucks in the Eastern Conference at this point. But in terms of what I saw in last night's game, and listen, Toronto came out there on their home floor. They punched Milwaukee in the mouth early. They were raining threes like no other. You had got everybody that came into the game. You got Chris Boucher. You got this kid, Matt Thomas, who Stan Van Gundy referred to at one point. Oh, yeah, best shooter in everything, but he just can't find minutes for him, you know, which is he really? 
Is he really the best shooter in the world? And you can't find. I mean, that was that was a bit that was a bit much from Stan Van Gundy, who did who does an exceptional job for TNT, I might add. But he Toronto, did. when I look at Toronto, I really liked how they defended against Giannis. I, I still think defensively, even without the services of Kawhi Leonard, they're still really good defensively. I like how they clogged the lane and they made things difficult for Giannis. But this is one of those situations where the Bucks supporting cast, unlike last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, which it was much it was much of the same. Giannis had his difficulties. They clogged the paint. They made things difficult on him. And Bucks players just didn't make shots from the outside as they had throughout the season. They had a lot of guys make shots last night. It was a balanced scoring effort. You get Chris Middleton leading away with 22 points. Giannis only goes three for 10 from inside the arc. Ends up with 19 points. Not a, not a great not a great evening by any stretch of the imagination, but just Eric Bledsoe doing some stuff for you. You get DiVincenzo, great minutes from him off the bench. The Lopez boys doing some great things as usual, and the, their collective depth and the way they complement Giannis with all the outside shooting you can they throw at you. You, you can't forget about guys like Wes Matthews, uh, Marvin Williams. I thought he did an exceptional job hitting the, hitting quite a few corner threes. Another one of those under-the-radar additions to that team. And Toronto, when the threes threes stopped dropping in the second half, they just didn't look like they were in the same class as the Milwaukee Bucks. And it it, it doesn't help when when our boy Bar Soap, Kyle Lowry, comes in there and, what what was he, two for 12? And you combine that with Serge Ibaka giving you two for 15 – it's just tough to overcome when Milwaukee's just hitting you with so many guys off, you know, off their bench and surrounding Giannis. It's just tough to ask. I wouldn't rule Toronto out at this point. They hold the number two seed right now. If they can hold that, they give themselves a chance to make the Eastern Conference Finals because we look at the difference between the two and the three. The three is most likely going to face Indiana, and that's not going to be a walk in the park. If you get the two seed, you're going to play, most likely at this point, the uh, Kyrie Irving-less Brooklyn Nets or maybe the Orlando Magic. Either way, it's going to be a sub-500 team. It shouldn't be all that difficult. And you get home field in the next round against, presumably, the Boston Celtics. So they'll have an advantage there. But when it comes to the Eastern Conference Finals, I give Boston a slight edge over Toronto. Here's the deal. So I've been thinking about this. I can't disagree with Boston. Boston, um, what what do Milwaukee has that makes them so much better than everybody? They got a star player, superstar player, most likely be a back-to-back MVP with it when all things are said, right? And then they have a very competent second when you talk about Chris Middleton. So now you have to think to yourself, you say, okay, cool. You look at the other teams in the East and you say, what team can kind of get itself that same claim? We would have thought it was Philadelphia, but they two stars can't get on the same page to say they like. Right? Boom, we get them out here. Toronto, eh, you got Siakam, he's up and down. Your your, your second star should be Kyle Lowry, but <laughs> I think he stated that very well earlier. Now, then you get down to Boston, because that's make no mistake. You got those three teams, maybe you throw in Miami. But it's a little hard to say somebody passed Jimmy Butler, right? I yeah, I know they got Iguodala. Oh yeah, what a, what a stellar! That's really gonna get you in the top bracket. Look, sorry, look, I'm a, I like Iguodala, but that ain't it. You give me something else. 
So that leaves us with Boston. Boston hits the checklist. Let me mind you, another thing that people don't look at about Milwaukee is the coach. Mike Budenholzer is a elite coach. Yes, he is known for getting to the big stage of that choking a little bit or taking teams that's very, very talented and not all the way getting the job done. However, when Mike Budenholzer had put those that modest touch, they have been a very phenomenal team. They just got to learn how to cap it off, and I think we're going to see that this year. Here's the deal. The only team that matched that criteria in the East is the Boston Celtics. Coach, star, a good second. A decent bench. That's Boston. That's a team that can take Milwaukee to a six, maybe even seven, depending on how the series goes. You just never know. You know, Giannis might tweak an ankle and miss a game or two. You never know how that goes on, right? I have to look at things that's past the obvious, right? The obvious is if your bench ain't cutting it, you're out of here. Like, because Milwaukee bench is coming to play every single night. So if you one of these teams with two dudes off the bench, you got a hot seven-man rotation, yes, I got it. I know people will tell me, listen, hey, man, they only go seven deep in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But you need to know that you got at least 10 that's ready to go. You might only go seven deep, but you need 10 ready to go because you never know what you're going to get. That seven might look good in a regular season, a Tuesday night in Portland, but when you go going uh, – seven-game series in the Eastern Conference Final, you need to know you got some guys ready to go. And right now, Boston is that team that got some guys ready to go. So to answer that question, I agree with Jay. It, I, I think most likely it will be Milwaukee and Boston as your final two teams standing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, the game last night proves exactly why Toronto is not in that sweepstakes, buddy. Because if they can't make threes, this is over, and they ain't playing with you, all right? We seen it last night. The first half, they raining threes. Oh, yeah. Hey, no name. Get over here. Get you some of this. Hey, hey, yo, coach, you want some too? Nick, no. Drake out there doing his thing with the championship belt. He, he trying to troll Giannis. Giannis said, no, 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 my friend. No, my friend. That is not going to work, my friend. I'm I'm not Golden State, my friend. Like, He's like, you, you can troll him all you want, but all he's going to do is turn it up. You dig? And that's what happened. You see what happened to Joel Embiid. I'm the best player in the world. If you don't say, we see how that turned out. Checkmate. So you you can do all these different things, but at the end of the day, you got to play the man. In order to beat the man, uh, in order to beat a man, you got to beat the man. And Giannis ain't coming to play with you. And that, and that guy, that number two, that I'm not the highest on, but he still does his thing. Chris Middleton, yeah. Mr. Uh, 90, 50, 40, oh, yeah. He coming to play, too. And, and like I say, man, Toronto's starting lineup was pretty good. They got some pretty valuable um, contributors off the bench. But we seen in the second half, they ran out of gas. You got a, a seven, eight-time All-Star in Kyle Lowry. And this dude is too busy over here, like, sliding under people's legs. Like, what are we doing out here? What are we doing? I've never in my life watched the NBA game and seen somebody get called for an offensive foul like that. What are we doing? George Hill, like, are you playing? What, what is that? Is this football or what? What are you doing? He literally tried to slide through his leg. I done seen players throw the ball through somebody's legs. 
and go and, around and, you know, you know, but to actually try to go under a guy while you're driven, that was outrageous. That tells you the level of their number two per se. And I'm sorry, Siakam, he's an up-and-comer. He's a future star. I got that. But right now, he he's just not enough to carry you as a one. So last night was a prime example of why the Raptors will not be one of those Final Four teams hanging around. We have to remember, last year, they were, for all intents and purposes, yeah, they was the most veteran team in the Eastern Conference last year. We overlooked that. We overlooked that. If you look at that roster last year, uh, player one through eight, they was just as seasoned as Golden State was. That's why when they found the loophole with Golden State with the injuries, they, they took advantage and they won that series. I'm sorry, that is not the same case this year. Nick Nurse, he got some babies coming in. Jay said it earlier. We had some dudes that we don't know that was playing. G League specials, two-way hot ones, fresh off the league. That's what we had in this game, and they played like it. So, listen, it is what it is, but when we talk about the Eastern Conference, it's the Milwaukee Bucks world right now. Until another team showed me something different, that's what it is for me. Yeah, and just to, just to cut in before uh, Cody goes, uh, I, I would not count Toronto out at this point, although I, I do think it's tough. When you, lose, when you lose to Milwaukee in this way, when they're coming off the second night of a back-to-back, they just played an overtime game against the Washington Wizards in their building. So you had to think Milwaukee's coming in a little bit fatigued, although that none of their guys play over 31 minutes a game. But Toronto is still missing Mark Gasol and Norman Powell. So they are not at 100%. So even though it doesn't, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because those guys don't move the needle against Milwaukee. But you put Marcus Saul back in the fold, maybe you get Norman Powell back, and that sh- that could give them a better chance to be in the Eastern Conference Finals and give them a better chance to beat Boston. <laughs> I, I would generally agree impressed. with that. Yeah, I think to answer the question, I think y'all are right. I think Boston is the team that you look at as the the, the front runner. That they look at them, you look at the Raptors, they seem kind of similar in a lot of ways. You have a team that has a lot of B to B plus guys, but there's no one that really is like over the top. You know, you have a guy Tatum and a guy like Siakam that are both close. Tatum's been around a little longer and he's looks closer than Siakam does to becoming that type of, you know, a, a plus just, he's our guy, you know? But um, yeah, man, last night, I I think what you saw really was Milwaukee at their best, which is that suffocating rim defense that's really going to force you into a lot of threes and a lot of jump shots you don't, you know, honestly always want to take. You combine it with having one of the top three best players in the world and quality players all over the, uh, you know, court, both and on your bench as well, that are willing to do whatever you need them to do. And man, that's why the Bucks are the only team in the playoffs today. I mean, they are they have clinched a playoff spot. It's it's amazing. Um, and, and you know, I liked about Giannis last night was he really wasn't at his best offensively for long stretches. You know, the Raptors were really bothering him on defense. They were collapsing when he drove, and he wasn't able to really manufacture a lot of the foul line, and he really just wasn't hitting a lot of his shots. Um, but, you know, he was getting hit in the paint when he went in. But then, you know, you still look at what else he did. Well, he contained Siakam all night. He pulled down almost 20 rebounds in a game where those were pretty valuable. You had two pretty defensively minded teams going out at each other. You had a couple nasty blocks. Uh, he was efficient. You know, the little bit he did score, um, especially from three, when he was hitting those threes pretty well. And he was also clutch in the fourth quarter. I think he scored six or seven points in the last five minutes. Um, so even at a night where he couldn't 
always get what he wanted to do, he was still a huge factor in why they won the game. And these guys off the bench, you know, uh, guys like Marvin Williams and DiVincenzo, like these guys, these guys can, could be the difference in the playoffs. These guys that are going in to, to do the little things that we don't always appreciate. You're talking about the hustle plays, the steals, the offensive rebounds, the loose balls these guys are going for. You know, Williams had a couple threes. And, and overall, you know, the Bucks wound up with three less turnovers, six more steals, five more blocks, and they were about the same on the offensive rebounds. And you create extra possessions, you play great defense, and, you know, the only way to overcome that for the Raptors is they had to shoot the net off from three, and they couldn't do it. You know, again, Lowry and Ibaka, what are we, two, two from 17 from three? Like <laughs> – and at some point, someone's got to go, hey, just, just relax. Don't just do something else, you know. And I, I just I don't know what the Raptors are going to do. I, mean, I, I think Jay's right to you know, a point. I think Mark Gasol is a big a big piece that's missing. I think that would have helped a lot. Um, you know, we saw how good he can be you know, in the playoffs. And Powell's a nice guy to rotate. But I don't know if that's going to move the needle enough against the Bucks, And I don't know if that's going to be enough either. So, yeah, right now I think that the, the Celtics are your team. That's the, the biggest threat to them. And, and – Milwaukee once again proved last night, despite the odds, we're the best team, especially in the East, and you're gonna have to go through us to get to the finals. Yeah, and last and last point about uh, about Giannis, and I, I said this when we was watching the game last night. Even on a night where he didn't score the ball particularly well, and I don't know if I remember this correctly, but that really I only remember that one drive to the basket where he got a layup. It was the last possession of the. Uh, Second quarter, I believe, going into halftime. Everything else, the Raptors walled him off. They made him take jump shots. But even so, the work he did on the defensive end and his passing, his passing is something I think we need to pay more attention to. He was dropping some absolute dimes last night, looking defenders off, hitting the open man right in the breadbasket. Uh, it, it was it was beautiful to watch. It's just another one of those things where we look at, when we talk about guys getting back-to-back MVP awards. You got to do something special, and you really got to show improvement. I think he's done that. I've talked about his perimeter shooting from time to time, and his passing last night. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Oh, and look, salute to Jason Tatum, my most improved player, I might say, before the season. He looking like he's going to prove to be that. So salute to him. All right, guys, let's get into the other primetime matchup from last night. Last night's Lakers-Pelicans game featured a rookie phenom and a man that was once in those shoes. LeBron James put in 40 points to lift the Lakers over Zion on the Pelicans, 118-109. to The New Orleans got 34 points from former Laker Brandon Ingram and 29 from Zion, but not much else, and the duo's scoring efforts did fall off in the fourth quarter. Lakers extend their current win streak to six and remain five games ahead of the Clippers. Meanwhile, the Pelicans are still four and a half games behind Memphis for the eighth seed. All right, Drink. Has the Lakers' recent winning streak restored your confidence in them? No, because um, I did see that. No, like when I say confidence, I'm confident in them, but I still have reservations. I, reservations is probably the better word I would use. Um, listen, I've seen them play the Boston Celtics. I've seen that game as well, just like I've seen this Pelicans game and this recent Grizzly game. You're supposed to do that to the Grizzlies. You're supposed to do that to the Pelicans. If you had have done this against the Celtics, though, I would have been a little more impressed. But that didn't happen. That, that game came down to the final second. And had they missed more free throws than they did miss in that game, we would be talking a whole different situation. Listen, here's the deal. And, and, and here's the crazy thing about it, right? Old man LeBron had to reach back into the time machine 
you know, put the put the the, the, the icy hot on the lower back and the knees, and he had to put the team on the shoulder. Once again, one of my biggest reservations when it comes to this Lakers team is Anthony Davis. You Anthony Davis needs to be the guy in the fourth quarter, but he hasn't been the guy in the fourth quarter. I don't know why Vogel only plays him an average of six minutes in the fourth quarter. I think he should play him more. But what really concerns me about Anthony Davis is he gets nicked up every single game. It's an elbow. It's a wrist. It's a calf. It's an ankle. It's a back. It's it's always something. And it just it makes me scared that when we get into the playoff, this same thing can happen. Now, I know LeBron has been known. To take to take three dudes off the corner store and and you know hey y'all want some cigarettes I, I we'll be back and then we hey he you know what I'm saying he make it happen but here's the deal that's not gonna fly that is not gonna fly in the Western Conference you know this I know this everybody know this that ain't it you're you're not even considered the best team in the West you consider the team with the best record but everybody say. If the Clippers five play together, healthy, if they stay together, uh, healthy together, and that bench come together, which is starting to do, they're the favorites in the West anyway. And then you got Milwaukee that's the favorites out the East. A lot of people give Milwaukee the chance over the Lakers. So with that said, you have to, you you have to, you you just can't depend on the oldest player on your team to take you over the hump. With that said, last night was phenomenal. We had the, the future superstar versus the current superstar. We had probably the last two most overhyped number one picks in the last, I don't know how long. We had LeBron James out of the 2003 draft, and we had Zion, Zion out of the last draft. These guys was heavily hyped. We couldn't wait to see their first game, and now we got to finally see their first game against each other. And let me tell you, the only problem I had with the game was it came on at 10 o'clock on the eastern co- I mean on the eastern coast. You know, I would have rather me an old 7, 730. I'll just throw that out there, um, TNT. But you know, it, it, neither here nor there. Um, but listen, this game came out. The Pelicans came out looking like they was ready to play. The Lakers did not in that first quarter. I was highly upset with that lackluster turnover fest that they they, they had going on. I mean, it's several plays where LeBron wasn't even paying attention to what he was doing. He would get the ball and just chuck it down the court. Ain't nobody even there. The referee like, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't the you, ref. I don't know what he was doing, but it wasn't the you. I, I don't know. LeBron know better than that. But with all that said, they weathered the storm. LeBron <clears throat> dropped the big four skit, four zero. And let me tell you, he looked good. I I thought this was by far, by far. And let me be crystal clear, by far the best performance from Le- LeBron James this year. But I would like to see this performance against a top four team in the West or either a top four team in the East. I need to see you do this against the top eight teams in the NBA, the other the other top eight teams. Because as good as the Lakers record is, I want to remind somebody this, that you, if you break away the top – the other top seven teams in the NBA, and then the, the other bottom teams, the Lakers record, it is winning, but it's barely winning. And that ain't it. I'm going to need to see a little more consistency. All right? But what I did like was, hey, that bench came to play. Caruso, 
Hey, he making himself some money. And I'm going to tell you right now, if the Lakers don't make it to the NBA Finals for whatever reason, Caruso might not be back on this team. I got a strong feeling that, hey, somebody's going to be willing to open the checkbook because that young man is making himself some some money. When he gets on that court, he show you what he got. And let me tell you know, let me tell the listeners and the subscribers something about this. Go check the records. LeBron and Alex Caruso, when they on the court together, they have the highest plus minus in the NBA. Figure that. Not LeBron and AD, not LeBron and Dwight, not not LeBron and Kuzma. Not Embiid and Simmons. Not Embiid and Simmons. You know? No. LeBron and Alex Caruso. So I think the team got a formula to win if they was to incorporate Anthony Davis more in the fourth quarter. I would like to see him more in the fourth quarter. Now, let's let's go over here to the Pelicans a little bit. I, I don't want to forget about them. Here's the deal. Zion, my man. You hey, let me tell you something. I was hard on you when you first came back. I had to see something. And I said that. My exact words was, let me see a little more before I jump on this Zion hype train. I would say I'd have seen enough to think this dude is the real deal, especially in that paint. Ooh, man, in that paint, in that paint, I tell you. I was telling uh, Cody this earlier. Look, you better pack a lunch because he's taking these fives and these fours on a lunch, on a, on a field trip, you dig? They going on the field trip. So I hope you didn't leave your lunch at home because he ain't nothing to play with down there in that paint. Now, I would think that because of that, that is the reason why he he has um, he has decided to take less threes because he's so dominant in the paint. Why take threes? You got to understand in today's NBA, they're teaching the four and the fives. Don't we don't play post presence all that much. We need you to shoot threes. We want to spread the court. We want to have the lane open. We want to play what I would like to call the Houston Rockets special now. We just want to leave it wide open and you do what you do. However, Zion said, hold my Gatorade, because you know he ain't old enough to drink a bill. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he said, hold my hold my Gatorade. And hey, and he goes to work in that paint. You know, he putting these dudes on his back and carrying them like a ride at SeaWorld. Either way, I, I was impressed with what he did. Um, I thought Brandon Ingram was pretty good from the offense standpoint. I'm not going to harp on the defense because I don't want to steal the thunder for my cohort over there. But um, listen, if y'all plan on making the playoffs, y'all do got to play the other side of the ball. I'm just saying, like, you ain't going to make the playoffs not playing the other side of the ball. Either here or there. Um, I, and I thought this had a good game last night. You know, salute to LeBron James. But listen, before I get off this, I don't want to see that against the Pelicans, my brother. I want to see that against the Clippers, the Jazz, the Bucks, the Celtics, you know, the 76 for that fact of the matter. Give, give me that against them. And Anthony Davis, listen, it ain't enough bubble wrap in the world to save you from getting hurt. This ain't football, man. You got to toughen up. Somebody need to take him to a cryotherapy machine, not the one that Antonio Brown used, but a cryotherapy machine. And just toughen him up. Let him get freeze, like something. Because this guy get hurt. He just get nicked up every game. I love his game, but he got to, he got to get over this. How is LeBron in year 17 and he ain't got nicked up yet? Yeah, I know he flop around and he's the and I got all that. But 
at the end of the day, it's not that serious. He just do what he do because he the GOAT, and he just he want to do how he get down. Over to you, my brother. Cryotherapy and AB. That's a that's a double burn right there. Listen, uh, listen. This uh, this six game winning streak for the Los Angeles Lakers. It, it's nice. Uh, I had mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago. I was concerned about the Lakers hitting in the All Star break, thinking had they peaked too early. And I, I, I'm less concerned about that now. But even with that said, I mean, this six game winning streak it doesn't do a whole lot for me. About four of these six wins are against teams that, when we look in the grand scheme of things, of contending for a title, they don't matter. Uh, the Warriors. The Suns, no. Uh, And then Memphis and New Orleans, one of those teams may get into the playoffs as the eighth seed, but it's just too early for either one of those teams, and especially now that Memphis is without uh, Jaron Jackson, it's going to be difficult for them. But but the Lakers, they're still the number one seed. They got as good a chance as anyone. You got to take them seriously along with the Clippers and Bucks, although I would still favor each of those teams at at this particular juncture. And the, the problem I have with the Lakers, though, and this is something I think we've referenced from time to time, when LeBron and AD do not both play well, it, you get the feeling that, that they're just going to struggle to score the basketball. Now, those guys, those supplementary guys, I thought they did a fine job last night. You got Danny Green out there. I think Danny Green's a real X factor to this team. When he shoots the basketball well, <clears> it really benefits them. You get KCP. I think KCP is playing some good ball right now. Uh, one guy I'm looking at that I think you need a little bit more from, and maybe it's minutes. I, I don't know what it is, but God, Kyle Kuzma, I look at him as the third guy who can get his own shot. After LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I got a bunch of other guys who that they can score the basketball, but they're not really going to create their own shot. They got to get – it's got to be set up by LeBron Maybe it's got to get set up by Rondo to a lesser degree, but they need some sort of offense or it needs to be in transition for those guys to get points. Kuzma can get his own. And I I was just going to say, you're absolutely right about that. He's not playing up to par, and this is why his name was in trade rumors around the trade deadline. Right. But but again, that's what concerns me overall about the Lakers. Uh, I got nothing but faith in LeBron James and Anthony Davis, even though he didn't have it. I didn't think Anthony Davis played particularly well last night. I thought he struggled to finish, which is surprising because he, as usual, in today's sort of small ball NBA, AD is going to have a big advantage a lot of the times. He wasn't that great last night, but he rebounded the basketball. He's in the running for defensive player of the year. He got six blocks last night. So he still impacted the game in positive ways. And the Lakers supplementary pieces did enough to pick up the slack that he didn't do good enough offensively shooting the basketball. And of course, LeBron, LeBron played. I I think, I think you're right. LeBron, I thought he played his best game of the year. I, I think 11 threes is still too many, but I really, there were enough post, uh, post plays for him and where he really did a great job. And I I have to go here and you you talk about defense. The New Orleans Pelicans, I believe are fourth in the league in scoring. And you think, well, that's great. And then you look, I mean, they're in what the 10th, 11th seed in the Western conference right now. And the reason is defense. They, they don't defend. And one of the reasons is I got to look at coaching in this, is this instance. And I haven't said a whole lot of, uh, against Alvin Gentry. I haven't been all that critical of him. And obviously doesn't help when your number one overall pick who looks like the absolute real D and Zion Williamson misses half the season. But when I see Drew Holiday over and over and over guarding LeBron James one-on-one in the post, 
I have to bring that up. That Alvin Gentry owes Drew Holiday an apology today because that is absolutely – I don't care how good of a Drew Holiday uh, – I don't care how good a defender Drew Holiday is. I don't care what he did to Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers a couple years ago. That is absolutely unfair, and it will not work. And to Holiday's credit, I thought he competed as well as he could in the post. And it wasn't like he was getting absolutely boat raced. But it's just too much to ask. And then on top of it all, you don't even send help. It's just one-on-one in the post with a guy who's got about five inches on you, probably 40 to 50 pounds. It's just completely unfair. And it's just one of those strategic things where it's so glaring. I can't believe they didn't bring it up on the broadcast uh, as it, in such detail as I'm bringing it up now. That And just I just look at the Pelicans overall, and I look at their lack of defense. And I find that I find myself saying this and thinking this every time I watch the Pelicans. The Pelicans, they score the ball. They can score it really well. They do some great things on the offensive side. But then defensively, and this is and this is with some team that has some notable defenders. You think about Drew Holiday, he has a great reputation, obviously not against, you know, a six eight behemoth, the you know, one of the, the most freakish athletes we've ever seen in LeBron James. I've been told Lonzo Ball is a good defender. I think Zion Williamson is a good defender. I think he's a guy who can impact the game on the defensive end. Josh Hart has some defensive ability out there. So I just I look at individually, they've got some pieces to where you're looking. How are they? How are they this bad defensively? That's just one of the things that concerning to me. And then I think about Alvin Gentry and who he coached under at one point in time, and that would be Mike D'Antoni. And if there's one guy who has zero to no interest, which is the same thing. It would be Mike D'Antoni in terms of defense. Did that rub off on Alvin Gentry? Maybe so. But that's definitely one of the things that's holding those guys back. And when I think about their lack of defense, as good as Zion has been playing, and and he's made a real impact on that team, and they're playing better since he's returned, their lack of defense still doesn't give me a lot of confidence in them making the playoffs. Yeah, I think uh, that was that's something that really struck me last night was just it's something that's plagued them all year too. Like you said, it's not just this game. I mean, they haven't played well in the defensive end all year. And some of it, like you said, just pieces moving in and out. But a lot of it, man, it's just, you got to want to play defense. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. We talk about defense in the NBA. It's just, you got to want it. And they, they clearly don't want to, but I think overall what you saw last night too, was just the fact that I think the, the Pelicans, the Lakers, Lakers is just a bad matchup for the Pelicans. I think you got a team, the Pelicans, they want to run. They want to create fast break opportunities. They have some really athletic guys like Lonzo ball, like obviously Zion, who's just unbelievably athletic. Um, and they want to create those fast break opportunities and they want to be physical in the paint. Well, uh, the Lakers also do a lot of that. And, when you look at the guys up front, the Lakers have to defend guys like Anthony Davis, a defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, LeBron, we always know when he wants to play defense, he can be he can be that guy. And you got JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, and maybe now you throw Morris in the mix. Man, there's a lot of teams, or very, I'm sorry, there's very few teams that can protect the paint like the Lakers do. And they're deep enough now to do it, not just the starting five, that even in well into the bench, there's always a guy or two out there that can really lock down on the, on the paint. But, you know, I wanted to kind of go from this in the Pelicans perspective a little bit. And if I'm the Pelicans, I'm unhappy. Obviously, this is a big game to lose when you're in that playoff push. But there was a lot to not like about last night. And yet, the game was pretty close overall. I mean, you had you had J.J. Redick. He had no impact off the bench whatsoever. 
Drew Holiday was getting smoked on defense, and that's probably why he couldn't give you much on offense. But overall, his offensive performance wasn't much to talk about. Uh, Zion, obviously, his crit tonight is going to be those Lakers bigs. Yeah, Brandon Ingram, who was a walking bucket at times, but he had seven turnovers. He had a lot of loose handles, wasn't super careful with the ball. Uh, Josh Hart only gave you a bucket, and it was a close game. And if you look at the free throw shooting, they shot 76% from the line. Couple free but more free throws go in, and this could be a close. I mean, this was a close game at the end of the end of the regulation. So every time the Lakers felt like they were just going to slam the door shut, you know, the Pelicans kept their foot in the door and they kind of fought their way back in. And hey, you know, hey, moral victories over here. I ain't trying to give them one, but there's a lot that you look at if you're the Pelicans and go, hey, you know, if we can clean some of this up, we're not playing the Lakers every night. Who do we got to beat? We got to beat the Grizzlies. We got to beat the Blazers. We got to beat the Spurs. If you can clean up a few of these things and play like you did last night, you'll beat those teams. So I think going forward, they, they got some things to like. And, man, like I said, man, Zion is ridiculous. I mean, it's just that that's going to be so much fun to watch, watching his game improve. I, I can't wait to see some more of him, and he's must-see TV right now. And the only concern I have for the Lakers, another guy we didn't mention was Avery Bradley. Uh, he still doesn't look right, guys. Uh, he had 14 points in his first game back, but in his last two games, he has three points in 51 minutes. He was 0 of 8 from the field last night, 0 of 7 from 3. Um, they're going to continue to have to work on that and then also getting Kyle Kuzma more involved in this offense. they got to find some different ways to get him involved because what they've been doing lately isn't working, and they're going to need Bradley and they're going to need Kuzma down the stretch, or I don't think this team is going to get past the Clippers as we see it right now. Yeah, last point. Go ahead. Yeah, last point on Zion because I didn't really speak to him all that much, and I think we got to get a little bit on Zion. There's been a little bit made of the struggles Zion has had with length. We look at the Bucks, how he performed against the Bucks. Still, he uh, put up some good numbers, but his shooting percentage, he was rather inefficient in that game. And 29 points is awesome. And 8 for 18 on the surface isn't all that bad. But when you consider pretty much everything that he's going for is right at the rim. I mean, 8 for 18 doesn't if, – if I told you DeAndre Jordan shot 8 for 18, you, you'd probably be like, oh, really? That's that's pretty bad because all he does is, you know, it's layups and dunks. And so that that is a bit concerning on one hand because he is – he it, at this stage uh, in his early development, he is struggling with teams with superior length. But on the flip side, I would just say there aren't a lot of teams like that. There aren't a te- lot of teams with the length of the Bucks. And the length of the Lakers, you can probably throw the 76ers in there as well. But by and large, the reduction in the role of centers, the what we've seen with how teams play small ball with the stretch fours to, and also stretch fives. This is this is a good time to be a guy like Zion Williamson, because primarily on the court, a lot of times, like if you're facing the Houston Rockets right now, I mean, Zion's going to have a field day just walking all over P.J. Tucker. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. So it's concerning in some specific matchups, but overall, I still think he's going to be fine due to the state of what the NBA looks like right now. Yeah, I, I just wanted to hit on your your earlier comment, Cody, about um, Avery Bradley and Kyle Kuzma. Here's the deal with Bradley. Um, this happens with Bradley offensively. But the thing, the key point of Bradley is, He's still the spearhead when it comes to the point of attack on the defense. I've seen some outstanding defensive plays from him. So, I mean, his offense does come and go. Um, Probably not an excuse, but at least he's bringing something to the table. The problem with Kuzma is this. If you're not going to give me nothing offensively, then what are you giving me? Because dude's just blowing past you defensively. Like, you ain't stopping nobody. I mean – it looked like an and one mixtape out there the way you going the wrong way. So that's why 
Kong Kuzma is is a bit more of a liability because if you're not going to drop buckets, and that's what we need you here to be our third bucket dropper, instead we got to depend more on Caruso, which is not bad because I like Caruso because he plays defense. Yo, we should have got rid of you. We could have had the other Morris twin if this was the case, but we kept you for a reason. So give us something. Create some value. All right, guys, let's move over to the NFL. Ian Rappaport broke some interesting news on Tuesday, tweeting that the Panthers are now planning to move forward with Cam Newton under center this season. Rappaport and most other talking heads have anticipated that the Panthers would be moving on from Newton via free agency or trade all offseason, but now things may have changed. Head coach Matt Rule said at the Combine that he'd love to coach Cam, and he expects him to be on the roster in 2020, although no Panthers brass at the time has explicitly stated that he'll be around. All right, Jay, do you believe Cam Newton will be the Panthers starting quarterback next season? I want to preface what I'm about to say by just giving a shout out to the one and only rap sheet. I think he does a fantastic job for the NFL network uh, between him and Adam Schefter. That's where I get all a lot of my NFL news. I'm paying attention to these guys yeah, and what yeah, they yeah, have to say. Uh, I believe Ian Rappaport, when he says he has sources that have told him this, uh, and, and with all that said, uh, I, I'm not buying this at this particular juncture. Uh, I, I'm really not. And, and here's why. When I first was informed of this uh, of this news given to us by Ian Rappaport, I, I thought I was going to be uh, hearing a little bit more uh, uh, definitive stuff from these guys. Uh, Matt Rule, the new coach, Mr. Seven Years, $60 million. Um, he, you know, he says some nice things at the Combine. Uh, among them, he expects Cam Newton to be on the roster in 2020. Is that so? Expect him to be on the roster. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to need a little bit more. I, I need I, what I would like to hear. And may, maybe I believe if you, if you say this, uh, uh, pending health, Cam Newton's going to be our starting quarterback. I mean, that's what I, that's what I'd like to hear. I need to hear something with some actual substance and juice behind it. And that, that's not what I get. I like, well, you know, the only thing that matters right now is getting him healthy. You know, I I, I would love to coach him. I, I, you would love to coach him. How about I am looking forward to coaching Cam Newton? I mean, give me something like and it, it, if he doesn't have full control in this matter, then I don't blame him. But then we got to look at executives. We got to look at the GM who is I still believe Mar- Marty Herney. I don't think Dave Tepper kicked him out the door yet. But no, yeah, I, anyway. yeah, I just need I just need to hear a little bit more. And just all the things that I've seen from new you look at new ownership, you look at Ron Rivera getting dismissed the way that he was that he was let go. And I, I've said from the beginning that this goes back to week two of last season when we were talking about Cam Newton's health and how he looked against Tampa Bay on that Thursday night football game and how it just appeared. Cam Newton and Ron Rivera started this thing back in 2011 together. And it just got the feel if one of them is going to go, I have felt from then on out, both of them would go. And Matt Rule, you look at a rookie head coach who has no ties to Cam Newton whatsoever. The current GM didn't draft Cam Newton. Obviously, you've had an ownership ownership change. The Panthers have no ties to Cam Newton whatsoever. They can, I mean, you talk about, Cam Newton, he's not a great trade candidate right now because his health is, uh, even though he's supposedly improving, it's still a question mark. 
because that's been the question mark the past two seasons with Cam. So he's not an attractive trade commodity, but you can still cut him and save $19 million in cap space. And oh, by the way, back to the rookie head coaching point. If Matt Rule and the Panthers indeed do elect to keep Cam Newton, then to me, what that does for you is it creates expectations immediately. And I mean, Matt Rule has, he's got seven years to get this thing done. Why set yourself up for immediate expectations? And I'm talking playoffs. If Cam Newton's, if you're telling me Cam Newton's going to be your quarterback, I need to see you guys back in the playoffs. And, but when you look at it, when you look at the questionable health of Cam Newton and you look at how you've lost some big pieces on this team now, let's think about it. Greg Olson's now gone, signed with the Seattle Seahawks. We just saw Luke Keekley retire. Thomas Davis heading out the door last year to the Chargers. They lost a lot of juice on this football team. I get it. Christian McCaffrey's an all-world running back. I like DJ Moore as your number one receiver. But if we're really honest about this thing, can we really remember the time where Cam Newton has had a, a core of weaponry that we're like, oh, yeah, man, the Panthers are loaded this year on offense. They got Greg Olson out there. They normally have one wide receiver who we can put some respect on his name. And you do have a great running back now. But by but by and large, you look at what he's surrounded with on the uh, on the offensive side of the ball. You look at his offensive line. It's normally solid, but it's not all that impressive. At the end of the day, at this stage in the game, and oh, by the way, I've heard this, this uh, time of year referred to as lying season for many, many years now with the combine and the draft and free agency and all these different things that's going on. And let's not forget, Carolina holds the number seven overall pick right behind two other quarter, two other quarterback needy teams in the Chargers and the Dolphins. To me, this could be some tactic to kind of set those teams at ease a little bit and say, okay, if I'm Miami, I only got to worry about the Chargers now because the Panthers out there, they're going to move on with Cam or the Dolphins. They only got to be worried about the Chargers or, you know, vice versa. So you might not be thinking about the Panthers right now, but the Lions and Giants are two teams right now that are in a good position because they at this point have their quarterbacks or so they think we'll see how it goes. But there's definitely two teams in the Chargers and the Dolphins that are looking for quarterbacks. Carolina is another team that I would not rule them out as trading up to get a quarterback. I mean, we were trying to concoct something where they traded all the way up to number one to get Joe Burrow. I don't think when, when I look at ownership, when I look at coaching, I don't think Cam Newton is the guy going forward, despite of what I've heard from Matt Rule and, of course, the the reporting from Ian Rappaport. All right. So <clears throat> the question is, do I believe Cam Newton would be a Panth- the Panthers starting quarterback next season? So let me think about this. I'm going to get short and sweet and we're going to get to the point. Here's the deal. The owner came out and endorsed that he's going to be the quarterback next year. Check. No. The GM came out and endorsed he was going to check. No. The head coach has a reputation of working with veteran quarterbacks and, you know, rebuilding their careers and turning them around. Check. No. No, the offensive coordinator, oh, he didn't work with all types of veterans and he didn't, he he know how to get the, the best out of your skill set 
over time because he didn't work with some individual chip. That's another, that's another great point. We talk about Joe Brady and the old air raid offense at LSU. But Does that hold really? On, hold fit? on, hold on, hold on. Let me finish my thought. All right, check. Oh, well, we still Cam Newton still got his number one target over the last five years, right? Check. <laughs> so. I just like much respect to Aaron Real, Aaron Rappaport, like you said, but I just all signs just tell me something, something else. Now, before I get to my next point, I'll let you say what you need to say. Yeah, that that was another great point that I, I forgot to mention. When you talk about you're bringing in Joe Brady, who we we saw him at LSU last year with the air raid offense and all those great things, just throwing the ball all over the yard. He worked for the New Orleans Saints last time I checked before then, you know, with Drew Brees and all the great things they do. This is a downfield passing type offense and predominantly passing. It's not it's not one of those things where you look at them and say, oh, yeah, it's a great mix of run and pass. I don't see that. So unless you're telling me that Joe Brady and the Panthers are all of a sudden going to magically transform Cam Newton into a pocket passer, which I don't think is a terrible idea because I do think that would set him up for success in terms of his health. But predominantly, we've seen Cam Newton at his best. Is he has to, is he, at his best? Is his legs are a huge part of his game and his ability to run with the football in between the tackles? If you're telling me the Panthers are going to all of a sudden recreate their offense for th- this guy, I mean, I guess I could get down with it, but I just don't see that happening. All right, so back to my checklist. So I go down my checklist, right, and I checked all that, and none of that really applied to this current situation, right? It leads me to believe, it leads me to think this. What I think the Panthers are doing, and this correlates with what Jay said about Lions season, they're trying to up Cam Newton's value. I would not be surprised in a month or so I hear, well, Cam Newton is 100% better. The feet is ready to go, baby. We're going to put him on a trade block. And then some team, you know, rolled the dice because he's not that expensive. And they come and get a one-year rental, and they see how they go down. We see one-year rentals. They pop. Sometimes they don't. This is what I see. I have, I am under a strong belief that the Panthers will draft a quarterback. Why? Because I just gave you the checklist. You got the head coach. Unseasoned. Coming out of college football. Oh, so who think they know college football quarterbacks better than Matt Rule? You got the offensive coordinator. They just took a quarterback that went, that threw 14 touchdowns one year to throwing 16, uh, 60 touchdowns the following year. Oh, so who think they can mold a young quarterback better than Joe Brady? I have to believe these dudes, Matt Rule have a seven-year contract. So maybe he can sit around and, you know, BS and roll the dice a little bit. Joe Brady don't have that. Oh, and who else probably don't have it? That GM up there. I didn't hear about his seven-year contract either. So this owner has made it – he has made it known. He ain't taking the bull crap. He's cutting the riff riffraff. Hey, I, you know, hey, I'm on the key, I'm on the keto diet. Hey, I'm not, I'm not going with the bull crap, you dig? If you ain't cutting it, I'm getting you out of here because I don't want none of that Jerry Richardson crap around here. I'm coming in. I'm coming in hot. You dig? So, with all that said, I just don't – Cam Newton's style of play, just like Jay mentioned, it just doesn't fit what they're trying to do no more. It, I, I just don't see it. The NFL is about throwing the ball, chucking it all over the field. Cam Newton was good. He was 
the hottest thing smoking when he was coming out of college, and he had an incredible career. I'm not trying to dump on Cam Newton. Cam Newton is good. He done his thing. He's a former MVP. He done played in the Super Bowl. Maybe he would have died on that football that's needed here, no doubt. But listen, his time has passed in at Carolina. Now, would I be remiss to say, listen, if they get the guy one more year, kudos to the Panthers. Kudos to the Panthers. Do I see it happening? Absolutely not. I, I just don't. I just see them trying to build up his profile to trade him away to, you know, get something else. I, I just don't see it. And until the owner, because let, let me be clear, the owner has said this on multiple occasions. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that when he get healthy, when the doctor says he's healthy. Well, what about Ken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he get healthy, that's something we're going to look into. When the doctor say he's clear. But Cam Newton said, yeah, when he's clear to play, we'll, we'll, we'll go back and evaluate it. He done made it clear. He keep telling you this for a reason. You're not going to corner him into agreeing to something that he don't want to agree to. He's he telling you, like, yeah, okay, sure. He, he'll be playing when he get healthy. But really what he's saying, in so many words, Cam Newton, he, when he get healthy, he's probably going to be wearing another jersey. Just all your boy. So, yeah, I, I'm not buying this one. Hey, much love to, you know, those guys. I never want to disrespect the guys that's on that level doing what they do. But, you know, this one does, you know, make my back itch a little bit and I can't reach it. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, so I, I guess I have a little bit of a different perspective on this. And I'm just going to come at it from more of a, a business perspective, I guess. Um, yeah, I think when you look at the the thing with Cam right now, the main issue, I think, if the Panthers are going to go down the road where they do keep him. And I, I agree with what y'all said. You make a lot of points and reasons why this probably needs to be cut off from. But if I'm the Panthers and I got my big whiteboard up, you know, I'm going, what are we going to do with the quarterback position? Um, Cam Newton is on currently, despite – signing a five-year, over $100 million contract a while back. he His salary going to this season is the cheapest starter on a non-rookie contract that isn't like a Bridgewater-type, like, mostly career backup guy. Like, if you, look, if you ranked all the, the guys that have started multiple seasons, he's on the cheapest contract. He's $21 million in your cap. Nick Foles makes more than that. I mean, uh, many Andy Dalton, I think, is the only one that would make less than that, and he's, like, right there at 19 or 20. So, money-wise, yeah, sure, okay, you can cut $19 million, but – then you're forced to go spend your premium draft capital on a guy or go, you know, test the waters of free agency. We know that there's a couple veteran guys out there, your Rivers and Brady's you can go kick the tires on. But like if I'm going to go that route, if I'm going to go the aging free agent route, I mean, would I rather just have the guy that's already been in my system, already knows the team, already knows what's going on and has done well for my franchise or am I going to try to like pull in Rivers or Brady and just hope they can get it done for a year I mean if I'm going to go out and overpay for a veteran I might as well just keep what I've got and save a little bit of cash you know and if I'm going to go out to the draft at seven it's hard to imagine they're going to get the guy they want we know that we unless some crazy stuff happens Joe Burrow is going to be gone Tua is very likely to be gone so maybe you get Justin Herbert if you're lucky but how likely are the Chargers or the Dolphins to put Herbert on the shelf for the future? So then I'm down to uh, Jake Fromm, <clears throat> Jordan Love. Ugh, I don't know about all this. Like, if I'm the, if I'm Matt Rule and I'm 
don't have a pick that can guarantee me the quarterback I want in the draft, and I'm not going to go to trade the entire farm to move up in the draft to get who I actually want, it does make some sense to bring back Cam. You know, in 2018, before he got hurt, 67.9% completion percentage. He threw 24 touchdowns, um, and the completion percentage was much higher than his averages for his career. You know, so he's still proving that, hey, I can learn some new stuff, and in the right system with the right pieces, I can still be a very valuable quarterback to somebody. And, you know, you've got to, you've got some weapons, not not like Jay pretty much lined it up. You don't have a ton of weapons. you you got to get better. But if you're spending premium money uh, of your picks or premium uh, cap space, which you have 34 million of, so you'd have a little bit more to go get another guy. How much better can you make your offense around a brand new quarterback versus keeping what you got that you know is good when he's healthy and then going out and trying to build the team around him. So I, I guess that you look at it from the perspective of, are we going to purposely restart everything and just do a whole new thing? Or, or are we going to try to make the best decision to win right now? And Hey, if you can go five and seven with Kyle Allen thrown to these dudes, I think Cam Newton could win you a couple more games than that if he's actually healthy. So that's kind of how I look at it if I'm the Panthers. And that's why I think there's a chance that there's some validity to these reports. But again, if, they, if they're trying to church him up just for trade value, I, I could see that too. But it, uh, there is some sense to it, I think, from the business side of it. All right, guys, finally tonight we get to what no drink's been waiting to talk about. Saturday night, one of the most anticipated heavyweight boxing matches in years took place in Vegas, featuring Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury in the rematch. Unlike last fight, which ended in a draw, this time around things were very different. Fury connected on a few hits early and poured the punches on throughout the fight. Wilder appeared to be injured and didn't really have his legs in the second round on. Midway through the seventh, with Wilder on the ropes taking hits, co-trainer Mark Breland threw in the towel, ending the fight. Fury retained the lineal heavyweight boxing championship and seized Wilder's WC belt as well with the win. Wilder has since had some interesting takes in the fight and is reportedly planning on exercising his rematch clause. So drink is quite simple. What happened to Wilder in this fight? What happened? Um, first of all, I want to say I'm sadly disappointed with, with the, the comments that was made after the fight. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, what happened? The fight happened. Tyson Fury, look, listen. Hat, hats off to you, Tyson Fury. Hats off to you. I don't, even, I don't like to show the hat when it's like this, but with a performance like that, you get to see the hat. Um, here's the deal. Tyson Fury knew what he was doing. He came in heavier. He knew he was the better boxer. He knew he could use that weight. And that's exactly what he did. He had a plan and he utilized that plan to perfection. I get, you know, for some reason, Deontay Wilder want to blame a suit that he voluntarily wore in honor of Black History Month. And more power to you, my brother, I loved it. I loved the suit. And I, I didn't really hate Fury Entry either. I think a fight of this magnitude, hey, if you're going to do all this, hey, go all out. But you got to win. That's why people are not talking about what Fury did on the way in. No, because he won. But now you you come in with your suit. You represent Black History Month. You represent the black people. And now you're going to use that suit as an excuse? What? Listen. If you go out and rob a bank, you can't use the excuse that you need the money. Like, no one cares. You can't just go out robbing the bank. So if you wore a 40-pound suit to the ring, you can't use that as an excuse why your legs was weak. First of all, have you seen yourself in the mirror? Because I've seen you. 
your legs is about the size of my whole body. They didn't look like they was hurting all that bad. Not to say he was making up anything, but I'm just saying, man, your legs look like they could take a little weight. I mean, it's not like the ring walk is, let's say, three miles, for those that know what I mean. So I don't quite understand the problem, but, hey, if that's what you want to say, Wally, that's what you say. I, I still back you. It is what it is. Tyson Fury. I've seen a lot of good things in this fight, but let, let, let's talk about what, what happened. Round one, from the bell. Bing! All right. We getting into it. Tyson Fury, he moving. Mind you, he is 270 plus. But he moving. He pivoting. He He's out of his range. He going in. He going out. Pow, pow. Oh, okay. Okay, bro. Yeah, we coming to play today. Pow, pow. All right. You know what I tell you? I hear, in, in the words of Conor McGregor, he's out here stuck in the mud. He ain't moving all that much. Okay, maybe there's something wrong with the legs. Deontay, what's going on? Some anybody seen this? What, what's going on? He's not Deontay. Move out the way of the punches, please. Move your head. The game, the, the the boxing game is to hit and not get hit. Not I'm gonna take a bunch of punishment and hope I can land my punch. Deontay, that's not gonna. Okay, I, I guess you don't care. So fear wins round one. Long story short, he's hooking them. Got him with a nice left hook in the first round. Boom. Round one, Fury. Bing. Let's get to round two. Round two comes around. I personally, I, I gave Wilder round two because I thought Wilder landed more significant punches. When you look at that, he landed more significant punches. Now, I'm not saying Fury did not land the most punches, but Wilder landed the most significant. Usually, with boxing judges, that is kind of one of the, the key things that they look at. So I would not be surprised if a, a judge or two gave the second round to Wilder. Boom. So at that point, I had the fight 1-1. One, one, and then round three happened. And from that point on, we know we know what the deal was. Round three happened. <laughs> and <laughs> look, listen. Hey, Fear is like, I want all the smoke. And uh, he hit him with a nice... Mm, in the in the back, like it was like in the ear, kind of like the back of the head kind of area, and we seen the ear start leaking. And a lot of people, including myself, I said, "Hey, oh man, the eardrum looked busted." You hear you hear the commentator say, "Hey, I think that ear is busted, and if that eardrum is busted." Let me tell you, he ain't got no balance. That's a wrap. He he ain't he's not gonna be able to stand up. Now I would say after the fight, I've heard reports that says. That he had a cut in his ear. His eardrum is not busted. That he just had a cut that was busted open. My only problem with that is, if that is the truth, why was you holding on to the rope so much for the rest of the fight? Why couldn't you stand up? You couldn't walk a straight line. You was leaning like you had drunk a fifth of the hen dog. So if that's the case, please explain to me why can't you hold your balance? Because I've never seen you. I didn't see you knocked down before. You was knocked down against Luis Ortiz. And you show one hitting the old bobble uh, wino from the, lo the local corner store then. So what's the problem here? So it leads me to believe that, yes, that eardrum was busted. But, okay, whatever. It was a cut. Boom. So now, from this point on, this fight was pretty much over. If his corner had decided to stop it in around three, four, five, six, I would have been okay with it. 
They they try to let their fight go out go out on his shield. And then you hear this. This is what you hear. Hey man, it's Walter. Hey, yo, all it takes is one punch. Let me remind you something about how the human anatomy works. In order for you to muster enough power in the heavyweight division, at least, you kind of need your legs. And if you don't have your legs, I would love to see what kind of muster you're going to have behind it. I'm not saying you won't hit him, because he did hit him. And Fury wiped the sweat off his forehead and kept going. So he hit him, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't a game changer. It wasn't a bronze bomber. It wasn't the 12th round of the first fight. So what are we talking about here? Anybody that watched that fight with a reasonable opinion, you cannot tell me that you thought that Deontay Wilder, from the fourth round to the seventh round at least, had enough in the tank to to knock out Fury. Because that's what it was going to take. Because we know this. Wilder wasn't going to outbox Fury. He ain't outboxed Fury yet. So we should have known that wasn't going to happen. So it was going to take a knockout, and that knockout wasn't coming. And I would tell people this. The, you, you mentioned exercising the rematch clause, and he did. He exercised it. Let me, let me explain something to the listeners and the subscribers about the rematch clause. The rematch clause only guaranteed a fighter a shot at the title again, his title, which being WBC. It does not say when said shot is made because people get it mixed. They say, oh, it's an immediate rematch. No. It says a immediate rematch, but that's up to the winner of the fight. Tyson Fury decides if it's his next match or not. That's how boxing works. I know how good that sounds when you're talking about it on the, on the, on the, over the, the, the national airway. Oh, immediate rematch. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. All that means is the next time, once you get healthy or once you get back in the lab, once your training is good, you are entitled to get a shot at the title. Now, whether that's Tyson Fury that's the champion, whether that's Anthony Joshua that's the champion, whether that's anybody else, that's all that means. Make no mistake. He will get back in the ring. Because Deontay Wilder is not a bomb. He only lost one fight, for God's sake. Let's not treat him like he, you know, he done fell off the mountain, right? But he does need to go back and heal. I don't give a rip, I don't give a rip about this. He had a cut in his ear. Yo, miss me with that. He needs to go back. He needs to get healthy. He needs to go back. He needs to hit the lab. I hear reports that he's gonna fire his corner. So that means he needs, it's a whole lot of stuff he needs to do before he jumps back in this ring. Everybody talking about a summer rematch. What? What? Listen, I, and I, let me be clear about this. Tyson Fury outbeat, outboxed him in the first match. If it wasn't for that 12-round knockdown, I'm pretty sure Tyson Fury would have won the first time. Then he took care of business the second time. So... For all my, my guys that saying this is egregious and give, give my boy Wilder a fair shake and get him 100% healthy, and let's see, was he not 100% healthy in the first fight? Right or wrong, I think he was healthy. So with that said, don't give me that bull crap either. I will say, as the defending champ, he deserves a right at the title again, but let's pump the brakes on an immediate rematch. And, and here's the deal. Now, Tyson Fury is now the number one heavyweight in the world. He 
hold the card in the heavyweight division. Whatever he decides to do from this point, he holds the card. Yes, Deontay will be back in the picture. He probably dropped down to number three. No biggie, because Anthony Joshua does hold the other three belts in the heavyweight division, so he'll probably slide the two. Um, but the fight to be made at this point, and I know people don't want to hear it, but the truth is the truth, and you know I'd like to put a little sauce on it, is Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua in a venue somewhere in the UK. That fight will unify the heavyweight division. And then once that fight go down, hopefully it's not a draw because you know our boxing go. Yeah, we just tend to get these draws at the high level. If it's not a draw, Deontay Wilder would get the winner. That's simple. That's plain and simple. If that fight was to happen, I would think it would happen later in the year. By the time that fight is over and done with, we'll be probably around, uh, let's say, maybe the end of the year, beginning of next year. Then Deontay Wilder, if he's ready to go, hey, let's do it, baby. Let's get back in the ring. But at this juncture, we need to get over this whole where well, he wasn't 100 percent. Oh, well, it's reports he was he got cheated. Man, knock it off. He lost. As much as I love Deontay Wilder, and that's my Bama boy, you know what I'm saying? That's, yeah, yeah. Roll tight. Listen, my man lost. He know he lost. It's a lot of things he need to do. And as far as the excuses go, I wasn't happy about the excuses, but he said what he said. And you know, it is what it is. Now that firing his corner thing, hey Deontay, sign me up. It, it, yeah, some them dudes got to go. Somebody got to go. They was out there looking like young fish out of the water. I mean, you was telling them what needs to happen. That ain't it. I'm sorry. You don't get to this brighter lights at this juncture, the top of the game, and you 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 out here with the YMCA special. They think you still out here fighting Golden Gloves. No, that ain't it. That ain't it. You, this is pay-per-view, this Fox, this ESPN. Oh, this is only the highest-grossing gate heavyweight fight of all time going at $18 million in the MGM Grand, right? This ain't the time to be trying to figure out how to coach. I don't, I don't know what that was, but this ain't the time. If you wanted to figure out how to coach, you should have did that crap in the Olympics when you was winning the bronze medal. Not now. Not when you got all this $25 million on the table. Now we want to, oh, hey, hey, oh, shoot, hey. No, nah, man, God, listen to me. No, nah, man, I, I want to keep going. No, come on. No, no. So, listen, to wrap this up, Tyson Fury, hell of a fight. um, Hell of a champ right now. Holding all the cards. Number one guy. He'll, he will fight Anthony Joshua. Probably somewhere in the UK. That's the fight to make. Deontay, I love your brother. Go ahead. Rest up. You'll be back. Ain't nothing wrong. You good, man. Just stop making excuses. You still the people's champ as far as we go. We 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 respect you. We seen what you had to do. But at the end of the day, brother, this might just be a bad matchup for you. I'm sorry, but it, it seems to be this might just be a bad matchup with you. So maybe Joshua beats Fury and you get a Joshua. He's a little more bulky and he's not quite the boxer period. Maybe you get him and that's a better matchup for you. But right now, Fury got your number, man. He got your number. We seen it in two fights. Whether people want to admit it or not, we've seen it in two fights. Um, it is what it is. You're corner through in the tower. You was mad. You want to go out on your shield. And kudos. Kudos to the corner for that. Don't let your man get beat up just because he's a tough guy. We've seen that with Muhammad Ali. When Muhammad Ali was in there with, with the George Foreman, with the Larry Holmes, they just let him get beat up on, man. And God rest his soul. Now look at Muhammad Ali. Look, look how he looked before he, 
Come on, man. Parkinson, no. Get him out of there. If he ain't got the goods, just get him out of there. Yeah, he ain't going to like it, but you know what? He'll respect you later when, when he healed up and when he feel better. And I, I respect them for going ahead throwing that towel in because I felt like they could have threw it in early. They went on and did it. He didn't like it. He was mad. He wanted to go out on this shield. Look, it is what it is. This is the fight game. Things happen. Let's get back in the lab. Let's do it again. And I can't wait to see this 2020. Boxing making a hell of a fights this year. Um, so I, I can't wait to see what, what happens with all this. And, you know, I want him to come back healthy and ready to go. Yeah, those are great points you make, and I'll get I'll get to those on how the fight ended in just a moment. But uh, to answer the question, what happened to Deontay Wilder? Uh, Ty- Tyson Fury happened, and he, he Tyson Fury for for the most part for the second fight, because I think we'd agree we agreed Tyson Fury out outboxed Deontay Wilder in that first fight, and the only reason the fight was split or you could maybe lean uh, Deontay Wilder was because of those two knockdowns. Uh, without those two knockdowns, Tyson Fury wins that first fight. And coming into this fight, it's one of those things where, where I'm looking at it and who was going to adjust and take what happened in the first fight and apply it to the second one. And I, I, I was wrong in this sense. I thought Deontay Wilder would be a bit better, and I thought he would be able to catch Tyson Fury a couple of instances, and that would be the difference. Uh, and obviously it did, not, uh, it did not turn out that way. Uh, from, from the opening bell, Tyson Fury came out with a different approach. Uh, I thought in that first fight he was uh, – Play, play, he played a lot of defense. He let Deontay Wilder dictate where he was going, and he still did an effective job. His defense was outstanding. I, I, I'm still, I still marvel at, for a man at his size, how quick he moves and how he evades uh, a lot of these, uh, these punches coming from Wilder, who has you know, the knockout power unlike any other. But he came out with a different approach, and from the, uh, from the opening round, he was on the offensive. He was coming at Deontay Wilder, and I looked at that, and perhaps that caught Wilder by surprise, and he was not expecting that. And if that's the case, it's something that he really, for the most part, never adjusted to. And I, I agree with you in the scoring. From my eyes, I thought uh, the first round went to Tyson Fury. And the second round, I thought it was a little bit split. I thought you could have went either way on that one. But really, the second round was really the only round Wilder was in. You get to the third round, and that's when things start to unravel. Tyson Fury he really start to assert himself. You had the knockdown. And to that knockdown, and I, I told this to Cody when we were watching this fight, it was after one of those occasions when Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder got, got, tied, got tied up together in the little, the little bear hug thing that was going on, which looked to be part of Tyson Fury's uh, plan. He put on some extra weight, and he leaned, he leaned on Wilder on. Through, yeah, he leaned on throughout the fight. And it was one of it was one of those situations after they got separated, and Fury came out and just just he, he knocked him in the ear or what 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 behind the head, and it Wilder fell to the ground and you see him looking to the ref like, hey right, man what what happened? It, it was almost like he was not ready for that. I, I don't know what could have came over him because once you separate once the ref gets out the way, I mean it seems like it's game on. He wasn't it didn't look like he was ready in aspect, and from then on. Things just really unraveled. And, you know, you had the uh, was it a busted eardrum? Was it not? If a busted eardrum leads to uh, your balance going that that's to me what looks like happened, because even early on, it appe- it didn't appear Wilder looked right from a legs perspective. And after after the knockdown, 
The only time he was on balance was when he was against the ropes and they were assisting him. Any other time, he wasn't right. And on one hand, it is a boxing match. You want to give this guy, he's a warrior. You want to give this guy a chance to show you something and, sh and dig himself out of this hole. But as the, as the fight went along, it got worse and worse. I started getting a little concerned for Deontay Wilder and the man's health at about the fifth round. And, I mean, if you're more than halfway through the fight and you're taking a beatdown, I got no problem with the corner jumping in and saying, hey, that's it. Because it's, it's, it's the end of round seven by that time. You really haven't seen any, any sign that Deontay Wilder can get this thing turned around. So in that sense, I mean, why just continue to let Tyson Fury just whoop, just uh, beat you down? Because even though the fight hadn't ended by a, a legit knockout, that there was there was no signs that Deontay Wilder could could uh, get it turned around. I do give him credit. I, I I was surprised at how he didn't get knocked out. He stayed in there. He didn't after the it was the, was the fifth round was the next knockdown or did he get knocked down the seventh? I forget. But he stayed up. He stayed in there. He wanted to continue. I give him credit for that. But I, I look at this going forward. This is the second time he's been outboxed. You mentioned you mentioned the fundamentals rules of the game hit and don't get hit. And to, to my eyes, he's re, he, he's too reliant on that big right hand. There's not enough variety in his game. I think it lacks technique against a boxer of this magnitude and fury who's that precise and proficient. And I think in some aspects he got exposed and I think he's got to get better going forward. I would like to see well, a third. He was exposed in the first fight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be true, true, true. It, but it may just it may just have not hit him mentally because he still caught him twice. And maybe he thought he could do that again in this fight. But I think now it's really got to hit home. If I want to get back in this and I want to, hey, if there's a, I, I think we expect a third fight. But for that fight to be compelling, he's got to get better. I, I think there's no question about that moving forward. Yeah, I'll keep it pretty short. We're a little short on time here, but I, I, I was amazed from the, from the when Tyson Fury entered the ring and and straight through, he owned the entire night. I mean, when he got in the ring and that, at first the, the first round started, he was walking forward towards Wilder the whole fight. I mean, he dictated. I mean, he was doing all but pointing where he was going to go next. I mean, it was it was amazing to to have the the uh, what to say on air, but you know the the ability and the just the just to walk up to that guy and be like, hey, I'm going to come after you. You're not coming after me the entire fight after how he hit him in the first fight. That was amazing. And, and yeah, Wilder, I had him in the second round is winning it. And then I, the only thing I'll say about Wilder is I was really surprised. You know, see some of these guys that get hit like this, they start getting that look that just I'm not here anymore. Look, Wilder never had that to me. I know, I know he was getting beat pretty bad. But he even said in like the post-fight interview, one of the ones he said was I was using the ropes. Like I was actually trying to use them, which, hey, did work for him. But he was – I think he knew exactly what was going on. He just – there wasn't much he could do about it. Uh, and for how he was getting hit, that was absolutely impressive. And, yeah, like you said about the, the, the trainers throwing in the towel, I mean, if I cared about the guy, I he could hit me the rest of my life. I've almost saved his life or keep him from having problems later on. I'll take the heat, whatever. So that that's good on them, even though, yeah, it was it was getting pretty good. I imagine that ref wasn't far from stopping it himself. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wanted to ask you real quick, Drink, and kind of quick here, but you know, kind of how Jay ended his segment, the narrative that's being ran with now is like, oh yeah, Wilder's just this exposed bum, and uh, I know Jay's not saying that, but like you, you read the national lines and people talking, a lot of people are running with the, they really seem to be going overboard. Oh man, yeah, he's just this one trick pony, always got that right hand, and I don't know, like as a as a casual fan, I can't imagine you're going to win 41 of your 42 matches or 40 whatever it is, just being some bum with one trick. I mean. Are we are we just kind of are we getting caught up in it a little too much with the with the narratives with him? Well, absolutely. But you got to understand, Wilder brought this on himself when he promotes. Hey, it only takes one punch. Hey, you know when I hit you with this one time, that's what it is. And then you go back and you look. A lot of people say he got outboxed in his last fight with Luis Ortiz. He did. He he kind of fought with one hand, and then you know all of a sudden, boom! In that six seven round, boom! He hits him. He gets him out of there. So. When you lose with that same style, you're going to take the criticism. That's what it is. But like I said earlier, he's not a bum. He only got one loss. He needs to go back to the lab, and he needs to fix some things. But he did open himself up to that criticism, yes. All right, guys. So I finished off with some rapid reaction. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Let's go, drink. Oh, yeah. 76ers all-star Ben Simmons has been diagnosed with a nerve impingement in his lower back and is expected to be out for an extended period of time. Big loss? From what I've been told, Joel Embiid plays better with Ben Simmons off the court and vice versa. So I think this is a great time for the 76ers to get going. Ohio State has rewarded football coach Ryan Day with a three-year extension on top of the five-year deal he signed in December of 2018. Do you agree with this deal or would you like to see more? I definitely like to see more. What the dude made the playoffs? He didn't even win the national championship. You coming off a national championship win, maybe pay him early, but okay, maybe y'all know some. Everybody else don't. I think it's a bit early though. That's a little panic move, I guess. Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy said Dak Prescott is the quarterback to win a Super Bowl in Dallas. Do you agree? If if he's gonna win a Super Bowl down there, it's gonna have to be at the right price, and the right price is not thirty-five to forty million dollars. Because if you pay Dak that much money, you're not gonna be able to surround him with the requisite pieces he needs to get the job done. So you got you got to pay him somewhat intelligently down there. Giants general manager Dave Gettleman told reporters yesterday that the Giants are available for business with a fourth overall pick. What does that mean to you? How do Dave Gettleman still got a job? Like, he just be out here just doing – what are you talking about? It's a mi- – how about an offensive lineman? You want to go get one? Like, or, or something like you. It's available. Dude, yo, I, I hope he I hope he messed this up so he can get fired. I know I'm not the only person thinking this. I know there's plenty of Giant fans that are like, go mess it up, Gettleman, so you, we can get you out of here because you've been tripping lately. Raining Heisman Trophy winner Joe, Joe Burrow would not throw at the scouting combine. Is that significant? This is the combine, so of course I don't believe it's significant. Now, if he gets drafted by the Bengals and all of a sudden he's not, he says he's not going to throw passes for them, that'll be significant. But this is the combine, so no. The NBA has suspended Charlotte Hornets guard Malik Monk indefinitely for violating the NBA's anti-drug program. Drink, I think this is the first time we've referenced the Hornets on this show. And rightfully so. The most famous thing we can talk about with the Hornets is they honor what the crime means. The New York Yankees starting pitcher Luis Severino has elected to have Tommy John surgery and will miss the entire 2020 season. Does this change your expectations for the Yankees this season? Uh, It really doesn't. I mean, Severino, he didn't pitch a whole lot last year. I believe he was limited to three starts with injuries he had last season. 
And, you know, you bring Garrett Cole into the fold uh, on that mega contract. And I think with or without Severino, I have them as the favorites in the American League to start the season. Vikings coach Mike Zimmer expects the team to re-sign defensive end Everson Griffin. Is that a smart decision? Uh, I don't think it's um, a bad decision. It's probably, you know, like in the middle. We'll see. Um, I'm um, I'm going to go with Mike Zimmer on this. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess. But we'll see how that goes. The Indiana coach has entries in veteran quarterback Philip Rivers, according to NFL Network, inside of Ian Rappaport. Will Rivers be a good fit in Indy? I think I think so. I don't think uh, Philip Rivers is done. I said this several weeks ago, and I, I think Drink laughed at me a little bit. But hey, I think Philip Rivers still has some left you in the tank. It. I think he's an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett, and I think the Colts are a well-rounded enough team with a good running game, good offensive line, and good young players on defense. I think this would be a good thing, and I think this would put the Colts right back in contention for the AFC South. Last one: Blazers and Pacers tomorrow from Indianapolis. Who you got, Drink? Hey, it's not, I, it's, I ain't take, I'm not taking the Blazers in one game without Damian Lillard. So I'm going to go with the Pacers. That's, that's asinine, the Blazers. All right, man. Well, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby.